Hello, welcome to the Shiloh podcast. I'm Rosie Dawson, and here are just some short reflections from participants at the recent colloquium held in Manchester on hypermasculinity. The colloquium was part of an AHRC project led by Dr. Holly Morse and Dr. Kersey Cobb, and it's called Reading the Bible in the Me Too Age. Give me a highlight. Oh, that is a good question. I'm still kind of processing through it, I think. I really enjoyed the connection and appreciated it between uh, academics and practitioners. I think probably the fact that we're all in the room together and it's that reminder that it's so easy to think that you're the only one looking at these questions or you're the only one working on this. It can feel really isolating. So, yeah, I'd say probably actually all of us being here together. This conference amongst a lot of reading that I'm doing. <laughs> it's really helpful. I would describe myself as an ex-evangelical, currently in therapy, because um, I'm a kind of survivor as well of abusive practices, and I'm trying to unpick what was the religion like that I was raised in. So just, just give me a definition of hypermasculinity. Um, I think that hypermasculinity uh, encapsulates all those more toxic traits that uh, dominant men in society kind of might express. So things like aggression and um, a really defensive heterosexuality, emotional inexpression, violence, um, all that sort of thing, I would say, is, uh, is where hyper-masculinity sits, that more extreme expression of, of traditional masculine traits. My impression is that the study of hypermasculinity is quite new, really, isn't it? I mean, why, what is it about this moment that you think we need to look at it now? So I think it's kind of new and kind of not. If you look at the ritualist movement, if you look at when men started wearing dresses again in church, you saw the same sort of moral panic and moral outrage and this sense of why are men men and men are dressing like women and what do we do about that? So I don't think it's necessarily new. I think it's whenever the idea of who a man is is threatened, you get this hyper-masculinity in response to it. I think it's whenever men feel or wherever one type of person feels an erosion of privilege. So with the Richards movement, you're talking about the 19th century, yeah. in, in church as a sort of high, high Anglican Catholic sort of tradition, and that was a moment when you felt that that was in society, the idea of masculinity was being threatened? or. So it's when you start talking about women votes start coming in, the suffragette movement starts to come in. It's a little while off, but this idea of actually women being, starting to maybe even think about being part of the property package, all that kind of thing. So I think it is that kind of idea that well, what does it mean to be a man in this world where we've got the Industrial Revolution, where we've got a whole range of different changes in society, and you have this erosion of privilege that is felt like oppression that triggers a very emotional response to this idea of I am the oppressed person, which often means that people go bigger, they go stronger, they go, um, and that's when we have some hypermasculinity going on. So we've been here before? I think we've been here before. So um, muscular Christianity was a very kind of physical 
uh, expression of Christian manhood that originated in the Victorian period. Um, and so when I use neo-muscular, what I'm doing is, is speaking of the kind of men's groups and, and theological movements that exist today, but that still contain that kernel of um, masculinity as inherently something that is, that is physical. So um, we have this, these ideas about a macho Jesus and uh, a kind of very physically active man being the, the ideal of, of, of masculinity. So that's where the kind of neo-muscularism comes in, that this new expression, more contemporary expression of that Victorian mus- muscularity. So, so Mark Driscoll is an evangelical American pastor who uh, was leader of Mars Hill Church, which um, was really growing, hugely growing, and fell away when there were a few scandals. But his ideas around gender and sex and um, derogatory comments around women are, are still thriving. I think we see in people like Mark Driscoll who attempt to stencil vision of manhood around Jesus. At least that's what they claim to be doing. And they want to portray this idea that Jesus is this rugged, ready-to-fight figure. I've heard people argue that he must have been brawny and muscular to carry the cross to Golgotha. Although someone else carried it for him in the end. Well, exactly, yeah, that bit seems to be left out of the narrative. And a lot of his teaching is completely revolving around sex and gender ideals and how women should be particularly, but how men should treat their women. And... A lot of what he has to say is that men need re-empowering. He has this nostalgic idea that there's this uh, biblical, Christian, traditional masculinity that men need to take on again. And the way that that's been skewed is because of women, he says. And he doesn't just talk about feminisation. He talks about pussification. He's being derogatory about the female body, um, not even kind of femininity, but actually... Uh, the biological female body and using it as a term to say that men are are kind of going downwards, that they're going away from God's intention. And it's fascinating because what, again, what is so scary about men being informed by women, masculinities being informed by femininities? Uh, and I think the crux of that is that m- most men, or at least the notions of masculinity, are scared of change and scared of something different. And I think that's what Driscoll kind of um, epitomises really well. These leaders pay really close attention to very specific texts, a lot of the times metaphorical texts about uh, about soldiers and about sportsmen uh, and about God um, being this warrior and this this quite aggressive masculine figure. Um, so a real focus on those texts to the detriment of looking at texts where, for example, God's femininity is is expressed. Um, that's one way in which the Bible is kind of used to promote hypermasculinity people have got to go back to the sources uh, and ask if manhood is really that simple. Can we really precipitate a manhood of Jesus or of Paul or of John the Baptist or of whoever it is by just going to a few isolated incidents and and, and saying, well, yeah, there you have it, There's, there's manhood. You know, he must have been strong to carry the cross or he must have been tough to clear the temple or this sort of thing. It's far more complex than that. And actually, when I think you do start to tease out what the texts say, you get a, a much more well, sort of kaleidoscopic picture of manhood, one where it's not just monolithic. And you, you certainly get the impression that manhood simply is not just one thing in the pages of the Bible.